0: Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. This is Ignatius Press Facebook page and our guest today is Bill Donahue, the author of Common Sense Catholicism, How to Resolve Our Cultural Crisis, And Bill, for the sake of our listeners out there, I wanted to first start with, who is Bill Donahue?
1: (laughs) Well, I've been doing this job for about 28 years as uh, the president and CEO of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, the nation's largest Catholic civil rights organization. Prior to that, I've taught every grade from the second grade through newly minted PhDs at NYU on and I worked in Spanish Harlem. I worked in Pittsburgh. I was at the Heritage Foundation of Washington. Um, my ninth book, which I'm glad to say you are the editor, as well as with Common Sense Catholicism, will be coming out later this year. And it's about the clergy sexual abuse scandal. Uh, so I have some eye opening things to say there. So, yeah, I've been around. I'm a veteran of doing TV since about the mid 1980s. So um, I enjoy mixing it up with those people who like to bash the Catholic Church.
0: Right. Well, I think it's important to note that you have a Ph.D. in psychology, uh, sociology, sociology, yes, at, from NYU and, and taught sociology at that level as well, because your book, uh, Common Sense Catholicism, is about how some of these people with these Ph.D.s who have a lot to do with our policy in this country don't have a lot of common sense. Right? Isn't that what you're saying?
1: Yes. I mean, I, you know, it's amazing. The professors are great at uh, entertaining the idea of utopia. And that's what they get their students to dream of this, this world, everything is perfect. Uh, It works on the blackboard very well. And as soon as you leave the classroom, it doesn't work. Uh, Now why, and the word utopia actually means nowhere which is rather interesting. Why do they have this fascination with, with utopia with this perfect society? Largely because they don't believe in nature and they don't believe in nature's God. And the argument I make in Common Sense Catholicism is this. If you get those two things wrong, if you think there's no such thing as human nature, if you think there's no such thing as God, nature's God, then everything that you will discuss and propose in terms of public policy is likely to be wrong. We are a fallen creature. We, I, we, we as Catholics, of course, believe in original sin don't have to be Catholic to understand the idea that man is is not perfect will never be perfect and indeed we have all kinds of uh, problems, don't we It's just always been part of the human race. there's no such thing as a culture without major human problems and we'll never get to that. So people need to sober up and, and and be a bit more mature about it but there is a lack of maturity on the part of so many intellectuals because they reject nature and nature's God they see themselves as God, in the sense that they can be the great social engineers. In the Catholic Church, we call that the sin of pride. We should know that we we can never reach that level. And I think once you have that idea that you can perfect things, and the only problems we have is the nature of the culture, then it it suggests to to these intellectuals, if I can change the culture and I can change the social structure, I can change human nature. No, you can't change human nature. And you're going to get right back to where you started from. But in the meantime, it'll be worse because those nations which have tried that Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao the blood list is in the hundreds of millions because people who resist your ideas obviously have to perish because they know better than the average man.
0: Would you say that this uh, belief in the pliability of human nature is seen uh, perhaps most? uh, uh, seriously in the gender ideology and transgenderism. The fact that people believe they can actually change their biological sex, uh, which if you believe in a fixed human nature is impossible.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that Vivian because if I had to choose one example, I would choose the one you you just mentioned. Uh, be, first of all, it's very contemporary, isn't it? Look, I agree with Pope, Pope Francis who says that gender ideology, the idea that a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man, is quote, demonic. He didn't just simply say it was wrong-headed, because you're denying what God has ordained and what nature has ordained. There are fundamental differences. We are complementary. A man is not better than a woman, a woman is not better than a man, but they are different and they complement each other. And we should accept that. First of all, we cannot ever change our sex. You can change. You can do surgical changes. You can take hormone therapies. I understand all that. Our genetic code is fixed. Our chromosomal makeup is fixed. It's fixed by nature and nature's God. So you can play the game of pretend. I mean, children do that in October. It's called Halloween. Now we have adults and we have the entire health profession practically now is bought into this madness and that's what it is. I actually think that when you're dealing with minors, And when you have parents who willfully allow their kids to go through this kind of transition, this is a form of child abuse. I know it's not regarded that today in 2021, but I'm hopeful that in the future, when we get past this, people will recognize this for what it is. And the idea that you're having 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 15-year-olds, three times as many girls transitioning to boys, by the way, today, that's true in the United States and the UK. Initially, it was boys transitioning to girls. It's just the opposite now. It's become chic in certain subteen and teen quarters. What they're doing to themselves long-term, to their bodies, is unbelievable. And the, And the failure of the medical community and the failure of the faith community to speak as boldly as Pope Francis on this is one of the most shameful aspects of our culture today.
0: Uh, don't you think that part of the co-opting of the medical community on this point is because it's become an industry. There's money involved. Uh, Now doctors are asking uh, routinely in pediatric checkups whether the child is comfortable with his gender. Well, if the child were to answer no, the doctor could then say, oh, we have a pill for that. Shall I write a prescription? Now that's money in the doctor's pocket. That's money in the company's that make these products pockets. It's money for the surgeons. It's money for the therapists. I mean, this is turning into a growth industry, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. And let's forget one other major institution, Planned Parenthood. The good news is that there are less abortions today than there were five and 10 years ago, proportionately in the population. But that leaves Planned Parenthood in a bit of a pickle, doesn't it? Because they know there's growing pro-life sentiment in this country. So guess who's who's cashed in? Planned Parenthood is now in this kind of sex reassignment industry, and it is an industry, and there's big money. And of course, when Planned Parenthood gets the money from us taxpayers, they always claim it's going to some nice, you know, take care of a woman's water on her finger or something. No, we know what they're doing with this, and now they're into uh, exploiting people. Uh, listen, you know, Dr. Paul McHugh, he was involved in this, a Johns Hopkins University professor and a great Catholic. He was involved in this at Johns Hopkins back in the 1960s. Now, he saw the light on this. And he said, listen, a lot of these people, first of all, the young kids are basically homosexuals. They're struggling with their sexual identity. And now they're caught in this kind of a cultural wave. Some of them, clearly, he says, are are suffering from mental illness. So others are now it's more of a cultural production because you can't account for the fact that today's generation is much, much more, more likely to be involved in this sex reassignment uh, surgery, than it was true of uh, previous generations. It's it's culturally manufactured, and the schools are involved in it. The publication, the publishing industry is big in it, uh, and and we even saw Ryan T. Anderson, who's a great guy, uh, the head of uh, public ethics and public policy center. Uh, he had a book out which critical of the whole transgender movement, and Amazon banned it.
0: Yes, when Harry became Sally, is the name right? And by the way, it's available also from Ignatius Press. So if, oh, I'm delighted. If you from Good, we Amazon, can beat Amazon. Go to, yeah, go to Ignatius Press website. <laughs> so, so a lot of this is just, I mean, in, in relation to your book, Common Sense Catholicism, I mean, a lot of this is just a lack of common sense, isn't it? To think that a boy could become a girl or a girl could become a boy. But look what harm it can do when we abandon common sense.
1: Well, you know, one of the problems here is that the intellectuals live in a world of fiction. For example, a woman who's pregnant is not carrying a boot or a shoe or an elephant. She's carrying a baby. It's not just a mass. It's a baby. A man and a man can't really get married. We know that. Marriage, the institution exists for the creation of the family. Now, not every marriage couple can or may want to have a family, but they have the right property, so to speak. Now, So two men really can't get married. They can't in law, but that's a fiction. A man can't become a woman. A woman can't become a man. That's another fiction. And now, of course, we have, because of of, of different legislation, we now have the Democrats involved through the Equality Act, and they're saying that uh, a boy can compete with a girl uh, because he considers himself to be a girl, and now he can use the locker room. He can use the shower facilities. He can compete with them in sports. Fortunately, there's a blowback now from the part of real great women athletes because, you know, we have sex segregation in the Olympics, don't we? We have men's sports and women's sports. Nobody's right mind objects to that. Men happen to be, on average, stronger and faster than women. Again, that doesn't make them better or worse. It simply makes us different. Most people are okay with men's sports and women's sports, but that means biological men should be competing against biological men and biological females should be competing against biological females. Otherwise, we're going to destroy girls' sports. We're going to destroy women's sports, all for the sake of this mad idea of equality taken take to delirium. You know, it was helpful back in 1831 in his great book, Democracy in America. He said the most dangerous quality in American society, and he saw it in the early 19th century, is this idea of equality. He wasn't against the idea that we're equal in the eyes of God. He was a Catholic we all share equal dignity, homosexual, heterosexual, all equal. But he said equality has an appetite to itself that can become delirious, that I want to have everything that somebody else has. And if I can't get it, I want to tear it down. And that's the difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy means, well, I'd like to have, I'm kind of jealous. I I would like to have what you have. The person who suffers from envy, which is a sin, means that Not only can I get what you have, but I don't want you to have it. I want to take away what you have. You have a bigger house than mine, or something of that nature. So, equality, when it gets to that kind of extreme level, radical egalitarianism, uh, creates all kinds of problems in society. And again, if you have common sense, you know there's a difference between a boy and a girl. You know there's a a woman is is carrying, uh, who's pregnant, is carrying a baby. You know that marriage is made for a man and a woman. But once you suspend common sense and the intellectuals uh, are the are the champions of this par excellence, uh, then almost all this world of fiction that I'm talking about, it's possible and more.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, equality and the Equality Act uh, that's currently being debated, uh, which now gives uh, legal minority protected status to uh, people claiming to be transgender and uh, sexually oriented in this way or that way. These are being added to the Equal Rights Act as protected categories. And in your book, Common Sense Catholicism, you talk about how equality can be um, misunderstood and and isn't what we're seeing in the Equality Act, exactly what you explained, that if, quality, if the word equality is not properly understood as e- equal in dignity, equal before the law, but instead this kind of radical um, equality, then this is why we're having these kinds of uh, uh, movements to change our laws, to change our institutions, right?
1: That's right. I mean,
0: and people need to have to understand
1: there's a difference between equality and equity. They're not the same. Equality means sameness and equity means fairness. So, for example, if uh, when I was uh, teaching uh, in college or the young kids and this goes on today, um, you know, if we gave every student an A or every student an F, they'd all be equal. But that wouldn't be equitable. That would be inequitable because we would be punishing uh, the good student, by giving him an F, and we'd be rewarding uh, the bad student by giving him an A. So we have inequality. We have A, B, C, D, and F. In the Olympics, we have the gold, the silver, and the medal, and the bronze medal. And then everybody else gets nothing. That's what's called fairness, even though you have inequality. Now, today, we mixed them all up. And, and it's a shame what's happening. I have some good news, Vivian. This, I just, I mean, this I'm just making a perception here. It hasn't happened yet. I know that uh, the Equality Act is being taken seriously and they they may get 50, 51 votes, but they need 60 because this is a non-budgetary line item uh, or, or piece of legislation, I should say. And in, in that case, they need 60 votes. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic that they won't get the 60. But that doesn't relieve our concerns, Vivian, because, as you rightly pointed out, once you take, you get into this idea of radical egalitarianism, radical anything, radical uh, liberty is great. You take that to extremes and you pervert liberty. Uh, any good, when it's taken to extremes, uh, it actually works against the good that it has. I mean, I love steak and I love uh, pizza, but if I eat too much of either one, I'm going to get sick. So moderation has to be tempered there. But moderation today, particularly about sexual, is regarded as a dirty word. But look at the people who don't practice restraint in their sexual life. They're the ones who die early, and and they're the ones who, who suffer from diseases. People who practice a modicum of restraint as the Catholic Church taught and Montesquieu and Aristotle, all the great thinkers, that's what makes sense. Our society today is going off the rails because we just think everything should be entertained to its most extreme uh, maximum value. That's wrong.
0: Well, and when they're to- of these extremes, they cancel each other out too. You yes. can have both radical liberty and radical equality, because if you leave people free to, to do their best, to, to work, to try hard, to aspire, some will do better than others. Some will get those gold medals. Some will get those bronze and some will get none at all. That's what happens when you have freedom to let people follow their passions and work hard to achieve them. You can't have both freedom and equality, but if they're understood in these extreme ways. So as you say, we need this balance, we need this restraint. And I guess we just need more voices to have the courage to stand up for that, right? Yes, and
1: we need it particularly in the universities. I've said this many, many times on TV, I'm gonna say it again. There is more free speech in your local pub than there is in your local college campus. And that's a shame. On the college campus, they should treasure freedom of speech. This is a recent example. Just happened. State University of New York at Genesco, upstate New York. A student studying to be a teacher in the education department objected to what you brought up before, Vivian, about the whole transgender issue. And he said, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. That was it. A man is a man, a woman is a woman. They suspended him. From the school now, I hope this kid sues because the First Amendment does not apply to private institutions; it does apply to state institutions. This is the State University of New York, and uh, <laughs> but the idea that we live in this cancel culture—whether uh, it's Ryan Anderson get, getting his book uh, canceled by Amazon or the government trying to stop uh, somebody—it's it's, it's pervasive in our society, and big tech has a lot to do with it and they certainly have unequal power don't they they have the freedom to abuse their freedom uh, and their stature and that's just it when when you have when when you have too much freedom in that sense you uh, you you're, you're going to destroy its value
0: you'll just dis- you'll destroy other people's freedoms as well absolutely and and now it's interesting you brought up this question of censorship because some people have been accusing these big tech companies of exercising uh, unlawful censorship, but as you pointed out, the First Amendment uh, is, is about governments not restraining speech. And this case you just brought up about a state school uh, restraining speech, that is a case of government censorship, but private entities uh, can publish or or not at will, and you can't hold them to that standard. But what you can do is say, Going to be an information provider and take on the authority of censoring content, then you also have to be liable for that content. And that means if you defame me, I can sue you. And right now, that's the unfair standard that the that, that that's in play that the big tech's uh, information providers want to censor, but they don't want to take responsibility. You can't have it both ways. And isn't that a theme of your book? that rights and responsibilities go together. And if you take them apart, you get into trouble, right? Absolutely. I mean, th- we understand this as Catholics, but you don't have to be Catholic in
1: order to understand it. I mean, parents understand it if they're responsible. But they, they start off with their kids when they get a little older. You know, when they get eight, and nine, they start giving them some rights. And then if the kid doesn't abuse the rights, you get a little more rights. I know, like, for example, what a lot of parents will do When the kid is ready to drive a car, they say, well, where can I drive? You have to drive within your zip code, and you can't leave your zip code. Now, if, in fact, you're responsible the way you handle the car, we may expand it to a a contiguous area and so forth. In other words, people instinctively know, if you have common sense, that if you untie, if you you untether rights and responsibilities, you have some problems. Because if I have no responsibilities and I only have rights then what's to stop me from abusing your rights by me acting irresponsibly? And this is what, we don't teach this in the school. The biggest illiterate in the world, if he can't even spell his name, he can spell the word rights, I can guarantee you. He knows what his rights are. They don't talk about responsibilities. We don't have basic civics in in, in the schools. And and if we did, we wouldn't have a lot of these problems. Uh, And yet we have a society today, where where, we're enthralled with the idea of legalizing marijuana because the states and the cities are going bankrupt. They don't care if, these, if the poor are the ones who are going to suffer the most. They're going to have their rights. Right to what, an early death? Uh, you, you, there's no there's no equivalent to alcohol detection as there is with marijuana smoke. So somebody's driving under the influence of marijuana, what are they going to do about that? And I thought we were concerned about respiratory problems at the age of COVID. I thought we were concerned about lung cancer. You see what it is, it's driven by money. By these 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 cities and 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 mayors and 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 governors in the states who are driving their, their 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 areas into bankruptcy and they think they'll be bailed out by this that's an abuse and even in the northwest they're even uh, have they've either dropped the laws regarding to heroin where is this going to end up this is an abuse of freedom Madison wrote the First Amendment and he talked eloquently about freedom and he said the abuses of freedom can lose freedom just as much as the abuse of power. And actually, decimate freedom.
0: Right. Well, the proof of that are the people in jail. You know, you've used your freedom in such a way to abuse it egregiously, and now your freedom has to be taken away. I mean that that's and so uh, so these this balancing act is so is so important. Rights and responsibilities. Uh, understanding the true meaning of words such as equality and and uh, and uh, liberty. And which is what you do in your book. What I really found interesting about your book, you might be surprised to hear this, is because you took on this word fraternity. <laughs> that we hear much more about equality and liberty than we do about fraternity. And what you do in this book is show that if what we want is true fraternity, the last things we should be breaking down are the family and religion.
1: Yeah, There's no question us about of- that. Yes. I mean, look, the original cell, social cell in society is, of course, the family. And Confucius understood, as Christians understand, that if the family is destroyed, civilization will be destroyed. If you take a look today, just in terms of compare the African-American community to the Asian community, uh, the African-American community has much higher crime rate than the Asian community. It's not because people are black. That's racist. It's because of the father. The absence of the father in the black community is 70, 75 percent, and it's down to two or three percent in the Asian community. Kids need a father and a mother. They don't need two fathers and two mothers. They, they They need a father and a mother because they have different roles to play. With regard to the father, the boy in particular needs to be disciplined. And that's exactly the the point here. You've got to have, uh, when you talk about fraternity, if you want to have the good society, and that's the goal of every philosopher, we want to reach the good society. There's no good society if the family is in disarray. And unfortunately, in our society, uh, it's in many quarters. It's simply not just in the African-American community. We have it in the white community as well. You see all kinds of examples. If you're looking at high rates of delinquency and illiteracy, I guarantee you it's disproportionately because of a broken family. If you have the family that's intact, middle class black families, they're doing well. The low-income white families are not doing well because not because they're white, but because the father is, is largely absent. So We've got to understand if you want to have a society, you stop with this idea that we can love the whole world. Just start with the family, please. You know, but they used to ask Mother Teresa, well, I'd like to save the whole world. She said, you can't. Start with one. Start with one person whom you can save. But you see, that means you've got to have some skin in the game, Vivian. That means the burden goes back to you. I have to do something to reach out to somebody else. Instead, what we have from the intellectuals is, oh, yeah, we should help the poor. That's the job of the government. They should tax the rich and we'll give them more money. That's not a way to help anybody. That just creates dependency.
0: The family and and, uh, you as a – oh, I don't know what's happening there. You as a uh, sociologist must be well aware of the the, uh, correlation between – Crime and the absence of the father, as you just said, it's not correlated to income, correlated to, to family uh intactness. And as you said, because I've raised four children too, and uh, it's a lot of work. And thank god I had a loving husband who was a loving father to help with that task. I, I don't know how it would have been possible. <clears throat> and so, yet, we have so many things attacking this. Now, I would have to say one of the good things that I saw that came out of COVID, at least here in San Francisco, I saw more families together outside than I'd ever seen before. And I've I've read different reports too that uh, the COVID situation ended up forcing a lot of families to pull together in ways they hadn't needed to before because the children were home from school Maybe someone was out of work. And isn't it true that need has a way of uniting people fraternally that sometimes lose sight of when we become an affluent, comfortable society?
1: There's no question about it. Look at the way the country pulled together, the United States, after 9-11. I mean, I saw the Twin Towers go down right out my window here in, in, in New York City on 34th Street, on the 34th floor, on 34th and 7th. And it was tragic. It was unbelievable. People pulled together. Uh, now, they d- didn't last, of course, but people started going back to church. People found their moral roots. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But what are we doing in our society today? You know what's you know what's even maddening? You have all these corporations, which are Amazon and the others, they're all giving money to Black Lives Matter. Are they aware that Black Lives Matter is not just about, you know, do Black lives matter? Of course, Black lives matter and white lives matter. But everybody's life matters. This is an organization which is expressly, as said, it's not my words, I'm not surmising in it, just go read it on the internet. They want to destroy the nuclear family. Now, that's really great. If I had a recipe, if I was a Klansman, the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, and somebody said to me, I want to further disable the black community, you know what I'd say? Break family down. Make sure it's totally destroyed. The fact that corporations, Microsoft and Amazon and the others Goldman Sachs, they're all giving money to Black Lives Matter, which wants to destroy the black family in the name of liberation. This is this is madness. And again, if they had any common sense, they wouldn't talk this way. So, yeah, we've got a society here which is uh, which has gone off the rails.
0: Now, in your book, you do mention that Americans have proven themselves before to be resilient and practical. And you end kind of on a hopeful note that, that common sense has not buried forever. It's still there and can make a comeback. Uh, what reasons for hope do you see that this might be the case?
1: I think it's called experience. I think that when most people uh, get older, they begin to reassess some things. We have a demographic problem here. It's not just all the intellectuals. It begins with them. I'll never stop with them but there's a demographic problem which doesn't have much to do with them. What I'm saying is this, where you have families, you have wisdom, you have experience. You have parents who are worried about their kids and most parents are good parents and they worry about them and they do want responsibilities tied to rights. If you have a society like ours where the young kids are not getting married and if they do get married, they're not having children. A lot of it has to do with that. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons, I don't wanna get into that, but that's not good. That's not healthy because then you begin to think of yourself, and not thinking about others, and that's not good. I think that, and if you take a look at, for example, uh, young couples who are married, they tend to be more traditional in their moral values, and when they have the children, they become more traditional. Conversely, if you don't have children, you're living with somebody else, or you're just single altogether, and you're not not getting married, you're not having children. You don't You don't have that kind of grounding. So I don't think we'll see a real turnaround until we can see. we need to have a pro-natal policy. We need larger families in the United States. We have to get over the idea that more human beings are the problem. That kind of mentality out of Paul Ehrlich and the environmental nuts out of the 1960s is wrecked havoc in our society. Uh, it has to change.
0: Well, I guess that's the takeaway then. We need to do whatever it takes to support families uh, forming in the first place, sticking together, um, large or small. Let's just take any family at all. That's right. And let's encourage that, which is where the faith comes in, right? Because if you look at the countries, family formation happens when people have faith and hope and uh, tends to diminish where those are lacking. So faith and families rise and fall together,
1: right? I'll I'll give you two examples, not from our religion. Orthodox Jews and Latter-day Saints, Mormons, they have big families. They also have religions which are rather strict, and they adhere to them, and they're loyal, and they're observant, much more so than Catholics and Protestants tend to be, or Jews in general. Observant Jews and Mormons are very pro-family. They've got the common sense. They're having the large families and and uh, yeah, I think they should be a model for the rest of us. I know it's not politically correct to say so, but then again, there's nothing politically correct about Bill That's
0: <laughs> that's true, and God bless you for it. And I on do. that and on that jovial note, we'll have to say goodbye because our half hour is up. But thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your book, Common Sense Catholicism, and thank you for fighting for the civil and religious rights of Catholics, and all the work you do at the Catholic League.
1: And thank you for all the good work that you and everybody, Ignatius Press and Father Fessio down does. I don't know what we'd do without you.
0: Well, we'll just all pray for each other, right? (laughs) Exactly. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.